0: Well, good morning. morning. It's good to see you all this morning. Again, why do we gather together? Why are we here? Uh, it's, It's great to spend time with our church family. It's great to be here, but ultimately the whole purpose and point of us coming, the whole purpose of us gathering in this place this morning is to praise Him, not us not me, not the worship team, not Panera, <laughs> none of that. We are here to glorify God. We are here to learn about God. We are here to, to in a sense, uh, you've maybe heard this before, we are here to sing and to worship and to hear about an audience of one, Him and Him alone. And so when we sing these songs together, when we fellowship together, when we talk about God's Word, we study it, we read it together, Um, we can tend to lose sight of the real reason that we're here. It's a good reminder. Why do we come every Sunday? Part of it is to be reminded. This is why we gather together. Um, I had some friends give me a, a coffee mug that says the Bible is not about you, <laughs> that this passage today is not about you and me. Yes, it applies, and even the music applies, right? The words of these songs that we sing, they apply to our life, but ultimately it's not about us. If we are coming for us, we are going to miss the greater treasure of Christ, and so we read these words today as we study them together, as we look at them. Don't don't just uh, take my word for it, dig into the scriptures yourself. Let's learn together. Let's, let's um, struggle and wrestle with these words together. Let's look at our own hearts to see, am I giving my life in glory to God or to myself? And in those areas which, okay, let's just be honest, there are All of us have at least one area in our life that we are holding on to, right? That we're not perfectly giving it over to God. And when He exposes that, can we then let that go and give Him the glory and struggle and strive? And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. Um, Eventually, I can get to the point to explain the difference between justification and sanctification. Paul is writing these Galatians about their justification these gentiles these non-jews were hearing from other from jews that you need to not just believe first you have to become a good jew you have to be circumcised you have to follow the festival laws you have to be a good jew in order to truly be a child of god and paul says wait what why why would you go back to that To be justified before God means that in the sight of a holy, perfect God, that we are seen as right. We are made right before him. We are sinful. None of us are perfect. And something has to happen. And so with the law uh, came all of these rules and all these regulations. And Paul has been saying throughout the book of Galatians, if you're going to obey the law, you have to obey all of it. You can't just obey half of it or even 99.9% of it because you break one law, you break the whole law. You have to live out the law perfectly in order to be justified before God. And all of us say we can't do that. I can't be made right in the eyes of God because I am far from perfect. There is no heavenly scale of good and bad in heaven. And when I die and I show up, that God says, well, you did, you know, a thousand good works and 999 bad works, so it outweighs the good outweighs the bad. So you're good. I'll let you in. No, he says. Oh, you've done a million good and one bad. That one bad is more than that million good. You fail. So how do we do that? How are we made right, just in the eyes of God? We can't. We can't in our own, in our own effort. In these Galatians, then. Uh, believers are falling back on the law, saying, oh, well, I've got to do the law then in order to be justified before God. And Paul says, no, 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 no. No. Verse 21, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Do you actually hear what the law says? You're wanting your justification to be determined by your obedience, by your works to the law. But do you actually know what the law says? And then he goes into what the law actually says he this whole section is a compact story a condo i don't want to say condescension that's not right what's what's the word i'm thinking of Condensed. thank you <laughs> it's not a condensation that's a whole different word it's a condensed version of the story of abraham hagar sarah ishmael and isaac so and this is the story between genesis in genesis 15 through 21 In Genesis 15, God meets with Abraham, gives him the promise, says, I will bless all the nations through you. You'll have many nations and many kings come out of you. And at that point, Abraham had no children. And Abraham believed. That's a famous passage. Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. And the very next scene, the very next scene, Sarah tries to preempt. She gets impatient. And so she gives Abraham her uh, servant woman, her maidservant, and says, well, in essence, I'm not pregnant yet. It's probably not going to happen. So take my maidservant, Abraham, have a child through her. And back in that culture, if a slave woman had a child with, lack of a better term, the, the master, then that child was not considered the slave woman's, but the main wife's, Sarah's child. And so Sarah gives Hagar to Abraham uh, to have a child, and so Ishmael is born. She's not, Sarah's not getting any younger, so she preempts. She tries to force God's hand, if you want to say. And in the end, it doesn't turn out as she plans, which usually happens when we try to rush the plans of God. She begins to have contempt toward Hagar. She begins to hate Ishmael and vice versa. Hagar and Ishmael now become in a sense a thorn in the side of Sarah. God once again just a chapter later appears to Abraham and says by this time next year you're going to have a son. And Abraham says well I've got Ishmael and God says no. No that's That was something you did on your own. He's not the promised child. I didn't bring that child about. You did. I'm going to bring a child about. And he says, how can I do this? I'm 100 years old. My wife is 90. And I don't care how old you are. That's crazy. And Sarah laughs in the background. Not a laugh like, oh, yay. Like, God doesn't know what he's talking about. And yet, a year later, Isaac is born, and while Isaac is there as he's growing older and he's uh, growing up and he's a toddler, Ishmael looks at him and mocks Isaac, makes fun of him, laughs at him, ridicules him. Sarah sees it and Sarah tells Abraham, kick this woman and her son out of our family. I mean, that's, it's, pretty, it's a pretty harsh story. And then Paul takes this and he says, this story is an allegory. An allegory is something that has symbolic meaning for something that is real. So Hagar and Sarah, you've got these two real women. You've got the law and the promise, two real covenants. And Paul says that these two women symbolically represent these two covenants. So he's not making a judgment call on whether Hagar is worthy or Sarah is worthy. They both have their issues. Okay, that's not, that's not the comparison he's making. He's talking about Hagar, who's the slave woman, and comparing that to the law in slavery, and then Sarah, the free woman, and comparing it to the gospel of Christ, the covenant of the gospel of Christ. So The slave woman, Ishmael, is the son of Hagar. He's born according to the flesh or according to the plans of Sarah, which again, like I said, doesn't go over very well usually when we do that. Ishmael is not a son of promise. He's a son that's born out of human will and human desire. And this is why, though God does make a nation out of Ishmael, Ishmael does not receive any of the inheritance of his father, Abraham. For only through the promised son will the promise of Abraham, the inheritance of Abraham, be given. And so the slave woman, Hagar, represents, Paul says, Mount Sinai. What happened on Mount Sinai? That's where the law was given, the mountain where Moses received the law to be given to the people of Israel. And Hagar also represents, he says, the present Jerusalem, which was the center of the Jewish faith. It was in Jerusalem where King David ruled It was in Jerusalem where the temple of God stood. It was where the Torah and the law was taught and where the sacrifices uh, required by the law were made. It was only, the only acceptable sacrifices to God were made in Jerusalem. No other place. No other place. And these Judaizers were teaching the Galatians, saying to them, if you wanted to be justified before God, you needed to follow the law. You needed to be a true child of Abraham. But Paul teaches that those who rely upon the law for justification to be made right in the eyes of God, those who rely upon the law for their justification are not the true children of Abraham through Sarah, but through Hagar. And just as any son of Hagar was born a slave, so any son of the law was also a slave. To the legalistic bondage requiring full obedience. Now, all of this is offensive. We've we've talked about this before, at nauseum, right? Like, oh, law and slave and freedom and gospel. Ooh, and I'm gonna why does Paul continue to go over and over and over again in this one letter saying the same thing? What did I preach about last week? Okay, one person remembered. Thank you for proving my, my point, right? We tend to forget. We walk away from even this time this morning, we're going to go to the park and we're going to have a good time hanging out with everybody, which everybody's welcome, okay? We're going to have a good time. And I'll be honest with you, when I walk out these doors, a lot of times I can't even remember what I preached, right? Because it's just our nature. That's just our nature. All of this, what Paul is saying would be offensive to the Judaizers. They fully believed that they were the children of Abraham through the line of Isaac and not Ishmael. And in one sense, they were right. Genetically, ethnically, they were the children of Abraham. But they were children of the law, which led not to life, but to death, not to freedom, but to slavery. Like Hagar those who held to the law for their justification were slaves who gave birth to slaves. If you trust in the law, Paul says, and you disciple other people to the law, you're creating baby slaves. You're creating you. And if you're trusting in the law for your justification, you're as dead as those children that you are creating. That's, that's rough. That's tough. That's not this ooey-gooey, feel-good kind of moment for the people. And the Jews who are hearing this are, like I said, utterly offended by that. Just as Ishmael persecuted Isaac through his mocking, laugh, and disdain, so the Jews were persecuting those who were the true children of Abraham, those who were born to the free woman according to the promise they show up to the Galatians and they laugh and they go, oh, you are so off. You think you're saved. You're not. Because you're not like us. But Paul is reminding the Galatians, oh, when I came and I preached the gospel to you, you became free. You are a child of the free woman. Isaac, the son of Sarah was born according to the promise and the plan of God. Again, 100 years old and 90 years old. Again, whatever culture, whatever time you're in, that's nuts. Unless you're like pre-flood, right? Where they live to be 12,000 years old or whatever it is. That's crazy. Who could do that? No one but God. Nobody, nobody but God. He did it. God promised Abraham that he would have a child through Sarah, and God fulfilled that promise. Again, why? So that it could prove how strong and mighty Abraham is. No, they were weak. All signs pointed to the fact that there was no way that they could have a child, and get, God did it. He gets the glory, not them. Because this child was born not through any ability on the part of them, but through the power and the might and the ability of Yahweh alone. Isaac was born not to a slave woman, but to a free woman. And that free woman represents not the Jerusalem of earth, the law, but the Jerusalem from above, the gospel. Where the present Jerusalem is in bondage, you can only sacrifice here, you can only be a true Jew if you do this and do that. The heavenly Jerusalem is free. And all who belong to and are children of the free woman are the true children of Abraham, not ethnically, but spiritually. The Galatians may be Gentiles, but they are the true children of Abraham. The Judaizers may be ethnically Jew, but they are far from being children of Abraham. In fact, Jesus says, your father is not Abraham. You do what your father says, and you know who your father is? Satan. Satan. Not God, not Abraham. Because if you were a child of Abraham, you would actually understand, God is standing right in front of you, you'd hear my words and you would accept it. but you don't, you reject it. You want to keep the law, you want to keep being enslaved. You are not a child of God. You are not a child of Abraham. That's where the Jews are as they speak to the Gentiles. And what Paul is getting at, whether Jew or Gentile, you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you believe in the good news of Jesus Christ, that justification is found by grace alone, through faith alone, you are part of the family of God. Who else wants to sing a song? You guys know that song? I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. All the older generation going, yeah, amen. Someday we'll sing it. The Galatians were not born through their own effort or plan. They were born through the active, deep-rooted, supernatural work of Yahweh, just as Isaac was. Like, he's driving the point home. This ain't about you, Galatians. This is not about your work. This is not about you. This is about God. These Jews, remember last week? Remember, right? (laughs) Remember last week? He says, they make much of you so that you will make much of them. Their their point is not about God. Their focus is not God. Their focus is them. Them, them, them. And Paul says, no, you are not worthy of glory. You are not worthy of honor. You are worthy only because Christ who is in you is worthy. Very rarely do I hear people today advocating that salvation is found through obedience to the law of God. I just don't hear that, right? We talk about it, you're like, amen, amen, amen. And we go out, we go, I don't really follow the law. I I mean, I clean the mold on the north side of the house, but that's just because it's gross, not because, you know, it's unclean. Instead, what do I hear? I hear more about advocating obedience to one's own law. To be made right in the eyes of God doesn't require circumcision, but following whatever laws you decide are right in your own mind, the ones that you've made up, or even really good ones. For instance, one just needs to love people and God will save you. That's a law. That's a law. Or just do what is right for you and God will be pleased with you and allow you to enter His presence for all eternity. That's a law. Or or even just do whatever you want because God will eventually forgive you and give you eternal life. Well, that's a law. If you just do whatever you want, what's the focus? It's me, 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 me. In one sense, being enslaved to no law in our minds to the law. You're still slaves, and we're still not free. We're enslaved to our own desires, and our own will, and our own requirements. And if you really think about it, what seems like freedom is actually slavery. My desires control me. Do I really have freedom? What seems like freedom doesn't lead to eternal life. It leads to eternal death. Whether you follow the law word for word and do as best you can or you follow no law at all, without Christ, you are slaves. Now, it's also important (laughs) to understand that there is a difference, like I said before, between justification and sanctification. Okay, we, those are pretty important, like, oh, well, what's that? Well, These are biblical terms, okay? The Bible uses these words, justification is the act of God alone to make us right in his eyes, right and just in his eyes. When we are justified, God does judge us, doesn't judge us by our sin, but by Christ's perfect obedience. That's justification. When the moment I believe I'm justified before God, He looks down on Mark, and my determ- His determination whether I can spend eternity with Him is not based off of my sin, which there's a lot of, but off of Christ's perfection. That Christ covers me, He's a covering. So that I am just in God's eyes, not by my own works and my perfection, but by the perfection of God Himself. That's justification. But sanctification is the lifelong process of being made like Christ, His character, His actions, His thoughts, His words, love of God and love of others, submission to the Father. I mean, you just read the New Testament. What Christ did over our lifetime. We become more and more like Him. Sanctification, again, is accomplished by God in us, but we get to participate with Him as He works in us. Justification, Christ alone. Sanctification, yeah, it's the work of God, but we get to join Him in that. There's nothing I can do to change my justification. You say, well, you believe. Well, who gave me that belief? Who changed my heart? God changed my heart. God changed me. He justified me, and now my love for Him is growing more and more, and God is accomplishing the formation of Christ in me, as Paul used in, in as we looked at last week. He's being formed in me, through the power of the Holy Spirit in me, and I get to join Him in that. Our being part of the family of God is not determined, praise the Lord, about how sanctified I am. <laughs> Everybody who's a child of God goes, amen, holy cow, what if that was a requirement? Whew, we'd all be lost. Our part, Being part of the family of God is not determined by how sanctified I am, but by how justified my, I am, which is complete in Christ and not in ourselves. So we have to make sure that we, we don't go that far, right, to, to confuse justification and sanctification. And that's why he ends. Now, in our, in our Bibles, I don't know if you know, the headings above the paragraphs and the sections, the chapter numbers, the verse numbers, those are not inspired word of God. That was created just as a reference to help us point to it. And the editors they, they go, well, this should go here or that should go here. It should go with this section, I mean. Like, so, so you go, well, why are you going to chapter 5, verse 1? Isn't that the next section? And I would say, no. It's the conclusion of the section beforehand, which is why I added it to it. Verse 5, for freedom Christ has set us free. Why is he laying out slave and free, slave and free? Well, God's work through Christ's death, through his atoning sacrifice upon the cross, was for the purpose of our freedom. Freedom from what? From the legalistic bondage to the law and to our own efforts of justification, even if it's our own law. Before we believed in Christ, we were slaves. After we believed, we were set free. In following the circumcision and festival laws, the Galatians were enslaving themselves to those requirements which would do nothing but point to their inability to perfectly follow the law. But in believing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, they were set free. So it is for us today. We are either children of the slave woman, or we're children of the free woman. We're either children of the covenant of the law, or we are children of the new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ, the gospel. It's only in believing the gospel message that we are set free from bondage. To trust in anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ for our justification is to belittle, diminish, and mock Christ's sacrifice of his own life for our freedom. So as God's children, as full heirs of the promise given to Abraham, Paul says, these are his last words, stand firm. You're gonna be hit on all sides and you need to be on a firm foundation. And if you're standing on the law, it's like quicksand that will eventually suffocate you and kill you. If you're standing on your own law, I could do whatever I want, you will eventually be suffocated by that law. The only way we can find freedom is when we stand firm in the gospel message. Firm in the gospel message as our foundation, our foundation alone. Stand firm in the truth. Stand firm in the freedom that was purchased for us at such a great cost. Stand firm and do not submit, he says, to a yoke of slavery. And now, we're in the Twin Cities, right? So uh, this is, if you've heard of a yoke, I guess if you've got a history book, you can see all the pioneers. Yeah, the pioneers, they put yoke on their oxen, right? So they're, they have to plow the fields. And so they would take these wooden yokes that would tie the team together um, so that they could go in one direction and the guy who's plowing the field could turn them and move them. Well, this yoke is heavy, it's a, it's a burden for the oxen. Yeah, they're big, but man, they get tired. It's, it's a lot of work. And Paul says, to follow the law is a yoke on your neck that will do nothing but kill you. Now, there's another famous passage, well-known passage, if you've been in the church, of Christ. And this is what he says in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Why is he saying this? He's talking to Jews. The burden of the law is upon them. I I gotta follow the law as best as I possibly can. I'm not like those Pharisees and Sadducees. Man, they are holy, right? And how can I be like them? Jesus at one point says they're not going to heaven. And the disciples go, Well, if they're not going, who's going? They would put the burden of the law on their necks. And Jesus says, Come to me, all who are who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Why? Because I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As God's people, may we not put a burden upon ourselves, may we not put a burden upon other people, may we always have in mind that why, why are we even in the church? It's because Christ saved us. And when we get overwhelmed, when we get when we look at our life, maybe we've created these laws that are overwhelming us, suffocating us. For us as Christians is to remind ourselves we're free and Christ's yoke is easy. Now, Go to the other side. There are many people in our life who are burdened down by a yoke that is heavy and is killing them and they don't even know. They don't know. They don't know. God has placed people in our lives as his children that we can be the example and speak the truth of God's word of the lightness of Christ's yoke through the gospel. Their yoke is heavy. Will we point them to the light yoke? Will we point them to the rest that is found in Christ? Life is hard. Life is difficult. But as Christ's people, man, through that difficultness, we find our rest in Him and Him alone. Sometimes that's all we have to fall back on. Everything else is taken from us. But if our minds, of our hearts, if our life is focused on Christ, to remind myself, I am a child of God, not because I live perfectly or not because I have no burdens, but because I have Christ's burden. And when I look at everything through the eyes of the yoke of Christ, I can see that it's light. My salvation is not found in myself or in this world or uh, social media or my family or political causes or anything. My salvation is found in Christ alone. My justification is found in Christ alone. Now, what He calls us to do here on earth, that's sanctification, right? That's growing in Christ. It's pointing others to Him. May we as God's people... Not be ashamed of the gospel. Man, that's hard, it's hard. I struggle with it every single day. And yet we can't avoid it. We can't. We can't keep it to ourselves. And if we keep it to ourselves, guess what's going to happen. We're going to be mocked and persecuted. And that's okay. We have to have that be okay. Because we're not here to satisfy ourselves or to glorify the world or to glorify our friends or glorify Elm Creek. We're here to glorify Christ, to live for Him. So here's the challenge. Can we walk outside this room and not forget? Can we walk outside of this place, go back into our workplaces or our schools and and be bombarded with the world and the law and still be faithful. Can we, can we do that? As God's people, to believe in Christ, remember this to believe in Christ is to be free from the yoke of slavery to the law. We are free. We are free. And we want people to see that and experience it too. Uh, Father, um, thank you for your son, that his yoke is light, that the world, the law's yoke is heavy. Help us as your people, Father, to, ah, to remember who we are in you, to stand firm in our justification, our salvation that's found in you and in you alone. And may our lives, Father, be a witness and a testimony to those who are heavy laden, those who who are restless, those who are not saved, that they would see what you have done and who you are to us, that our identity, as you say through Paul, is not found in our ethnicity, not found in our socioeconomic status. It's not found in our gender. It is found in you. That is who we are. And may they see that and desire it and want it. But help us as your people, Father, to not be ashamed, to not hold back, to have wisdom, to know when to speak, but to always, in all times, live out the light yoke that you have given us, the rest that we have in you and in your Son. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your glory being seen through us, through your work, your supernatural work in us. And so may our lives, Father, give you the glory. We ask this in your name. Amen. Let you stand, we'll sing our final song.